welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series eight and episode 10 in which Jesus teaches on prayer. We're in Luke's gospel and we're going to be studying Luke 11 verses 1 to 13. We've been spending quite a lot of time in Luke's gospel in this part of our teaching in series eight as Luke carries the story forward um, during the time when Jesus is now traveling south from Galilee, going through Samaria and Judea on an extended journey traveling towards uh, Jerusalem. We paused briefly and looked at um, uh, a time when Jesus went very briefly into the city of Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles as recorded by John in John chapters 7 through to chapter 10. Um, but for the most part we've been following uh, Luke's story um, as he's taking this journey forward. It really is a major transition in Jesus' life. Um, having spent so long in Galilee and having a base in Capernaum where he and many of his disciples lived when they were not traveling around, it was a very different environment to the situation he was in now where he was traveling in a relatively unfamiliar territory in Samaria in the central part of the country in Judea, in the southern part of the country, and then at times across on the eastern side of the River Jordan in the district of Perea. And uh, Jesus was heading uh, south for a very particular reason. A new phase of his ministry was starting in which he was preparing for his death and resurrection at the hands, his death at the hands of the religious leaders in Jerusalem and indeed the Roman authorities who carried out the execution. He anticipated all this prophetically. He knew what was going to happen. He warned his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer, die, and be raised again from the dead. So this journey has a sombre side to it, a serious side to it. It's very different. Uh, it feels quite insecure for the disciples. Uh, and Luke provides quite a lot of details. Some of the details we've seen recently include the fact that Jesus sent out a group of uh, 72 to preach in Samaria and Judea. Um, this is described uh, at the beginning of Luke 10, the previous chapter. This is a second group of people who've gone out. There were the 12 who went out in Galilee, but now we have the 12 plus 60 others and they're going out in Samaria and Judea and they're performing 36 teams who went and preached and proclaimed the kingdom of God all over the country. So there's a considerable um, activity of mission and proclamation going on, but also Luke records to us uh, some important uh, conversations, uh, some important parables, such as the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we uh, studied just, just recently, a couple of episodes ago. And then he records some important uh, personal situations and meetings, such as the um, moving and simple story of Jesus going to the home of the sisters Martha and Mary, which is in the passage just before um, our passage now at the end of Luke chapter 10. And in that story, which is relevant to what we're going to study uh, in this episode, in that story, we see a huge contrast between two sisters who, when faced with Jesus and his disciples coming to their home, had completely different reactions. Mary was uh, 
really pleased to seize the opportunity just to sit down at Jesus' feet, to listen to him, to talk to him, talk to the others in the room, to get a feel of uh, what he was doing, what he was saying, what he was teaching, to learn from him. Uh, a unique opportunity she'd never had before, whereas Martha, her older sister, uh, was rushing around in a state of heightened anxiety, thinking about all the issues of hospitality and bedding and food and drink and everything else that needed to be organised. And Martha almost rebuked Jesus um, for allowing her sister just to sit there and talk while she was so busy. But Jesus said to her very specifically that Mary had chosen a better way and a better attitude and a better thing to do which was to give priority to relating to Jesus and listening to him and engaging with him rather than rushing around in a state of great anxiety. So Mary becomes a uh, an example of discipleship, a good example of female discipleship incidentally which I mentioned in the last episode, but an example of discipleship and attention to Jesus and an appropriate attitude to learn from him, an example that has been taught about throughout church history um, as a good example. And we need to just keep that in mind um, when we come to this next episode, which is loosely linked to the example of Mary, because the topic here is prayer, which of course is how we relate to Jesus primarily in the period of time when uh, he's no longer with us on earth, uh, and we relate to him through prayer and through the activity of the Holy Spirit uh, living within us, who connects us to the mind and heart of the Father and the mind and heart of Jesus uh, in the Trinitarian nature of God. So let's have a look at this uh, interesting passage and, um, and also just think about the topic of prayer. So we already know that Jesus has taught very specifically on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll refer to that because there's a huge amount of similarity between that teaching and the teaching we have here in Luke. And by the way, as we often say, as we go through the Gospels, if there's similarity in teaching, um, it usually means that similar things are taught on different occasions, uh, which is a very likely outcome of Jesus's travelling ministry over a number of years. And that is exactly what happens here. Things that were taught in the Sermon on the Mount are reiterated in similar form here. Jesus often repeated in various different forms or similar forms things that he taught in other places. So we'll keep that in mind but there's another thing we need to keep in mind before we actually get to the passage and that is that Luke very specifically makes comments about Jesus and his own prayer experience. Now, although Jesus was the Son of God, it's clear from the Gospels that he prayed to his Heavenly Father. He was connected closely with his Heavenly Father and spoke to his Heavenly Father in prayer on a regular basis. And on one occasion, he says he, that he couldn't do anything unless he sees the Father doing it. He seeks to obey the initiative of the Father as he carries out his ministry and follow his guidance and listen to his voice. But Luke um, expresses it in a very particular way by just describing circumstances in which Jesus makes a very conscious choice to pray. 
bear in mind that Jesus is one of the busiest people you'll ever imagine uh, in the whole history of humanity, because wherever he went, he was thronged with crowds. People always wanted to see him if they could um, get any access to him. So let's just go through a couple of things that Luke says. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is Jesus making time. That's a conscious decision. That's not the sort of thing that happens by accident. Luke 6.12, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus often chose remote places. This mountainside was a remote place. He was just about to make an important decision, which was the choice of the 12 apostles amongst his many disciples. And he prayed for a whole night before he made that decision. Luke 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? Notice how this conversation is introduced. He was praying in private and his disciples were with him. The implication there is they're nearby. He's praying on his own, but they are uh, close by. So those are three examples in Luke's gospel of Luke emphasising the priority that Jesus had for personal prayer. That's exactly what we find in this passage that we're going to study today. We see it in verse 1, Luke 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now you can see here that prayer is a definitive activity. It's not something that's sort of going on. You can't see that it's happening. Jesus, when he's praying, he's concentrated. He's focusing. He's not talking to other people. He's probably removed himself at some distance from um, other people. And the disciples were nearby, which is why after he finished, one of his disciples was able to ask him a question about prayer because they could see that he had actually been praying. This is a bit like the incident in Luke 9 verse 18 that I read to you just a moment ago. Jesus was praying in a certain place. He was on a journey, part of this long journey from uh, Galilee to Jerusalem. And the question of the disciple is interesting. Lord, teach us to, to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, John the Baptist uh, used to teach his disciples to pray. We don't know exactly what he taught them and what his methodology was, but it was common for Jewish rabbis or teachers to teach their disciples about all different aspects of life, including prayer. But this question, teach us to pray, is interesting in that Jesus had already given them some teaching on prayer. And this is recorded in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably worth just recording quickly one or two of the things that Jesus said on that occasion, because that gives us the context of Jesus coming back to those things. But it's quite interesting that he'd been very specific in Matthew 6 um, and verse 5 following. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now that's pretty specific, isn't it? When you pray, you need to go into a room, close the door, find privacy, make a time, and engage in relational prayer, seeking out God as your Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus already taught them. He taught them that some months or years ago in the Sermon on the Mount, which we studied in series four. So all these things have been carefully looked at already. So when they say teach us to pray, what is actually happening here? They've already got some teaching. They've already had teaching on the Lord's Prayer, which is going to be reiterated in the passage we're going to read now, which comes also in Matthew 6. They've already had teaching about the attitude of prayer, the urgency and the determination of prayer which is taught in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12. So what does the disciple actually mean when he asks the question, Lord, teach us to pray? I think what he's saying is that although we've had the teaching, uh, we haven't really put it into practice. Help us, help us to know how to pray. And sometimes we need to be told things more than once. Now, if you've ever had children, uh, you can be sure that that's true in your relationship with your children. If you're a school teacher, you'll know that you have to say things many times to help people to understand them. If you have a position of responsibility trying to shape people's behaviour, you have to keep telling them the same thing time and time again. So in a sense, the disciples are asking Jesus to reiterate, to underline and to confirm things that they have heard in the past and Jesus is very willing to do that and he uses much of the same material that we've seen in Matthew chapters 6 and 7 when he teaches them. Let's read verses 2 to 4. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is what we call the Lord's Prayer. This is very similar to the uh, statement of the Lord's Prayer given in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. But this is slightly abbreviated. It's slightly shorter. There's a few phrases missed out but it's exactly the same framework that Jesus gives them and what I'm going to say now is very similar to what I said in the episode in series four in which I covered that material but there's no harm in saying it again because as I said earlier on quite a few of Jesus teachings appear uh, more than once in the New Testament in the Gospels and so therefore uh, it's good for us to come back to them. Our Father, or Father. This is really the foundation. It's the relationship with God 
that forms the basis for a meaningful prayer life. And so many people in traditional religious contexts struggle with prayer because they don't have any connection, uh, any real sense of what their relationship with God actually is. But Jesus indicates that for his followers, those who have been born again, the spirit is living within them, they've repented of their sins, believed in the gospel, those people are able through the work of the Holy Spirit to understand that God is their spiritual father. He is like a human father, only much greater and much more perfect and much more wonderful than any human father could be. He cares for his children. He wants us to have a relationship. He wants us to be able to call out from the bottom of our being, father, or some similar word in our own language, whatever that word is, that is um, both intimate and respectful when speaking of a father. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be considered holy and respected and honoured. Help me to respect and honour your name. Make people believe so that they honour your name. This is a prayer for God's glory through our attitude towards him, through other people's response towards him, so that he may be greatly honoured and respected. The prayer about your kingdom coming is tremendously important. This is both now and in the future. The theme of the kingdom is very central to the Gospels, as we've said on many occasions. After all, as Jesus sent out the 72, he told them to proclaim to people that the kingdom of God was with them, was at hand, uh, was around at that very time. God is gathering people together into his kingdom. People who believe are going to be the subjects of his kingdom. And your kingdom is coming, which means we want your people to be more numerous. We want um, them to obey your will more fully. We want your authority, God, to be seen in this earth through the people of God. Give us each day our daily bread, a reference to um, God's concern for our human provision, our practical provision. It's so good to pray, Lord, give us enough, enough to eat, enough to live by. And for some of us, we could take that for granted. For others of us, it's a daily battle to be certain that we've got enough to live on. But we can ask him for provision. And we can ask him to forgive our sins. And an indication that we're serious about that is that we forgive others. We don't hold any grudges or bitterness or unforgiveness against other people. That, of course, is a huge topic. I'm aware of that. And we studied it in some considerable detail a few episodes ago when we looked at the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. And if that issue of forgiveness is a really big issue for you, can I encourage you to go back and consider that episode? Because the issue of forgiveness comes up time and time again in the New Testament and in the Gospels. And indeed, Jesus made the point very clearly when he first taught on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15, when he comments on the Lord's Prayer, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you 
your sins. So forgiveness of others is important if we want to have a living and dynamic and open relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then finally, lead us not into temptation. And Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer adds on, and deliver us from evil or from the evil one. We need to stay clear of falling into the temptation of sin and falling under the power of the distraction and deception of the enemy. And in order to do that, one of the best things we can do is to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Now, all these points are dealt with thoroughly in the episode in series four in which I cover the Lord's Prayer, where a slightly fuller version is given. I'm summarising them briefly here. And it's interesting that when, when he's asked to teach them to pray, he gives them a, a form of prayer. And this form of prayer turns out to be very important. It's a framework for regular praying. And we'll come back to that point in our final reflections. But first of all, a bit about our attitude in prayer. That's really what the next section is about as we read from verse 5 to verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I've no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is very similar to the teaching given in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12 on the Sermon on the Mount. A vital key to a fruitful prayer life is persistence and determination. The story of the friend coming at midnight and knocking at the door demanding help because he urgently needs extra food to give to a traveller who's come to see him, a friend who's dropped in unexpectedly and is staying over. This story is um, remarkable and I find it a bit shaking to think of the sheer persistence of this man because actually to go to somebody late at night and to knock on their door at midnight 
is quite bold, isn't it? In many cultures, people have locked up by 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. They're all fast asleep at midnight. And the last thing you want is a knock on the door. I would be very reluctant to go and knock on any of my neighbor's doors at midnight. But what's amazing about this story is it's not about the first knock. It's about the follow-up. It's about the audacious request, the shameless audacity. Even though he will not get up and give the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he'll surely get up and give you as much as you need. You simply pressurize the person by knocking, shouting, calling, please, please help me. I do need your help. I need it now. Please come down from your bed and give me some food to give to those who come to see me. And Jesus goes on to emphasize this point with the next statement, ask and it'll be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And as we stated uh, when we discussed this in series four, these words are strong words. Ask with urgency. Try seeking is trying to get something from someone with urgency. Knocking has an implication of persistence. And the tense of these verbs is the present imperative. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. That's the feeling of this particular statement. And what will God give to those who are persistent? In the parallel statement in Matthew, it says that God will give good gifts. But here, when Jesus reiterates this statement in a different context... He says God will give the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean? The Holy Spirit already lives within the believer. But the Holy Spirit is manifested in us through a number of possibilities. One is power, just the energy and power of the Spirit to do a particular task. A second thing is the fruit of the Spirit, as described in Galatians chapter 5. Character, mature character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And the third thing are the gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous powers of the Spirit that enable us to see miracles happen. And another thing is the guidance of the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit saying, do this, do that, wait here, keep praying for this, praying for, pray for something else. The Holy Spirit will come and guide us as we seek God over a difficult issue which we're praying about. Very often the voice of the Holy Spirit will speak quietly to us and just give us a perspective on what God is doing, what the timescale is, what an appropriate prayer is, what an act of faith would be in this particular situation. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God isn't here being promised as the person who's able to fulfill all your needs and just tick off your wish list. No, we're praying for kingdom issues and we're praying for urgent personal needs.
Those are the two priorities of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, the top priority, and give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, personal needs that we have. So as we conclude this talk and think about what we've learnt in this episode, here are a few reflections. Ultimately, prayer is relational and it's only the Holy Spirit living within us who is able to reveal to us the full and amazing wonder of the fact that God is our Heavenly Father. He's adopted us into his family if we are born again of the Holy Spirit. We found the salvation of Jesus and we are members of his kingdom and members of his church community. This is not just a traditional prayer that you pray mindlessly through some liturgical framework. This is a prayer that is prayed from the heart and is prayed to God, our Father. My second point is to say, as I said when we dealt with this in series four, the Lord's Prayer is an ideal framework for regular prayer. In fact, my testimony would be that for much of my Christian life, I've used the Lord's Prayer on a more or less daily basis as a framework for prayer. Praying each phrase through in the fuller version based on Matthew's Gospel, of which this is an abbreviation, slight abbreviation here in Luke. I've used that prayer as a framework and the way I use it is to pray through the phrases slowly, think about each one, expand each one with other supplementary prayers or um, offers of thanksgiving to God or whatever's appropriate, confession of sin, application of detail of each point and go through it step by step. This, I find a wonderful framework for prayer and I can't think of any reason why we shouldn't regularly use it given that Jesus is unambiguously clear about it when his disciples ask him how they should pray. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. He's already done it in the Sermon on the Mount, his authoritative teaching about the Christian lifestyle, where he teaches unambiguously about prayer and fasting and giving, and he puts them all together, and the Lord's Prayer is right there in the middle of it. Our attitude to prayer is vital. It's not about traditional prayers or seeking the approval of others, fulfilling duty, hoping for the best. It's about a close relationship with our loving Heavenly Father and our desire to obey him and bring in his kingdom. And then, as we conclude, I want to just come back briefly to this shameless audacity, Luke 11, verse 8. The shameless boldness of the man who keeps knocking on the door and calling out to his friend well after midnight please come and help me that is our attitude to our heavenly father and you and i have had and will have in our lives issues of intense urgency where we desperately need god's help you may have those issues there before you right now what i've learned is that I can come to my Heavenly Father with shameless audacity, with utter boldness, and ask him and seek him 
and knock on his door, the Holy Spirit will be given to me, who will give me a perspective on that issue, either a quick answer or an answer in the long term or a prophetic perspective on what God is doing in that situation. God, our Father, wants to give us the Holy Spirit to renew and energise our prayer lives on an ongoing basis. So I invite you again to reflect on Jesus' teaching on prayer, just as I did when we were looking at it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's good that Jesus reiterated these teachings again. This underlines the importance and his disciples needed to hear it again because they were still on a journey of learning how to pray as you and I are also on that similar journey. So let's continue on that journey. Let's follow the example of Jesus. Let's uh, follow his principles here and see how he will bless our prayer lives as a result. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.